I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Down the block, Andrew Johnson. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won the grand final. It's got the ball. Jared Hayes. Hayes, superstar, superhuman. Polly Bodulai. The speed of a bullet. He hits it. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today we've got on a special guest for a tell-all interview, Crinston Inu. Inu played for three clubs in the NRL, Parramatta, the Warriors, and with the Bulldogs. In a four-year span between 2009 and 2012, he unfortunately lost a grand final with each of these clubs. One of only two men ever to lose three grand finals with three different clubs. Inu talks about his Kiwi debut after just one game of first grade and his return to reserve grade the week after his international debut against the Kangaroos. Inu also touches on his experiences of playing alongside a few superstars at the peak of their powers in 2009 with Jared Hayne and in 2012 with Ben Barber. He also discusses his experiences with a young Sean Johnson during his rookie season in 2011. Inu has a fantastic story to tell and I hope you enjoy it. Let's kick it off. How are you, mate? How are you? All good, all good. Let me ask you, you were born in Auckland. At what age did you move over to Australia? Uh, young age, I was only about seven-ish. I was born in uh, Auckland uh, Middlemore Hospital where most uh, legends are born, yeah. Hospital where only the strong survive. So I believe you moved into Minto in Western Sydney? We moved into our families around Fairfield area and then we made our way to Minto. What was your childhood like down there? Just like anyone else, probably no no different, no... Uh, Nothing too special, pretty much obviously uh, the old standard. Yeah, if you want to go see your mate, you got to walk 2Ks down the road, ride a bike, walk, whatever you needed to. If you wanted a drink down the street, you'd be drinking from neighbors' taps on the way. Just your, just your standard. Um, some people will see it as a struggle sometimes, and we've seen that as just life. That was how we grew up and took anything for granted, made our own fun, really. Play Harold Matthews or... 
SG ball when you were younger? Our age was always stuffed around when we were playing. So if we were ever to make those teams, we always had to play a year up. So when it was uh, the following year, when it was like supposed to be our age, they would swap the, the age group. So it would, would never fall on our actual age. So for us to make those rep teams, we always had to play um, our age above us. So, which was a bit of a trial, which was which was good for myself and obviously other boys my age. But yeah, it was um, it was pretty cool. Like if if we wanted to make any sort of reps, we had to play the older boys. And if you if you made those teams, you sort of uh, was obviously a, a well known thing for for the rugby league world. If if you had made a Harold Mats or SG Ball for uh, a certain team, and obviously being a year younger as well. I guess that would have been very character building as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was grew up uh, humble background out in Campbelltown, and for me to go to training all the way to Parramatta, I had to catch a train all the time. And sometimes I'd have to carry all my Parramatta training gears with me to school in Fairfield. So anything that I needed in Parramatta, I'd have to carry with me all around school, and then straight from school to Parramatta, then catch a train back, which was. Obviously, uh, Parramatta to Campbelltown was in uh, the closest troops. We'd get home at about nine, ten, ten at night sometimes. On, but lucky, lucky for me, there was a there was a group of us that was travelling together, so we always felt safe and we we're always in good company. You made your Parramatta Eels debut in two thousand and seven. Tell me about the week leading up to that special game. It was Tamanatahu. I was called in two days before captain's run and I was called in to just fill in he wasn't his hamstring wasn't feeling too good so they go oh well you fill in during the week and then maybe game day Tamana will be sweet to play got to captain's run which is day before every match and then I got the thumbs up saying yeah you're going to be playing you're going to be starting center Haynes is going to be your winger and just go there have fun really do what you do and yeah so (laughs) Um, I got told the day before, and obviously I got the news pretty early in the day, so I had time to sort out family tickets and all that sort of stuff. And at Parramatta, their family over there, and since I was a para junior, they pretty much just gave me free reign on that game to just ask for whatever tickets I had. I think I had about fifty tickets my debut game, and it's it was a fair um, crowd. Yeah, it was it was raining that day too, so I was lucky enough that uh, everyone still turned up in the rain. <laughs> Made your first grade debut for the Parramatta Eels that week. A week later, you're selected to make your international debut for the Kiwis against the Kangaroos at Suncorp Stadium. Unbelievable. So this is a funny story. So I um obviously Tamana, I was I was in for Tamana the week after he was sweet to play, so I got put down to Reggie's. And then um the the week after that, so not even so I I think I debuted on a Saturday. The following week was a Friday, and then the week after that, I got caught up into the uh, the test side for the Anzac, Anzac game versus Australia. So I was playing Reggie's at the time. I got caught up to play Kiwis because uh, I think Brent Webb was having a kid over in uh, over here in the Super League, so they needed a fullback, and I got the th- I got the thumbs up. Um, <laughs> funny story, you play test matches back then. You you back up for your club, so. I played test match on Friday, my first test match. And then on that same Sunday, I backed up for Parramatta, but I was playing Ridges again. <laughs> so how did you find out that you were going to be playing for the Kiwis? Like, I, I imagine whoever made that phone call, you would have been in complete disbelief. Yeah, this, oh, I still remember it like it was yesterday. Um, so like I said, the week 
after my debut, we played, I think it was another Friday game. On Sunday, I was in church at the time. My phone was ringing and I seen who was calling and it was um, the manager from Parramatta. So I thought something was up at the club. We had an important meeting or something. So I walked out of Sacrament at church. I walked out and he goes, uh, what are you doing? And I was just like, um, I'm at church. I go, what's up? I go, something up. Like, do we need to be somewhere? Am I late for a meeting or something? Because I, I was just paranoid as that I missed something that I didn't know. And he just said, no, 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 sitting down. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm sitting down now. So I sat down and he goes, yeah, you've just been called into the Kiwi squad. And I was like, what? Like, I, I thought he was just pulling pranks, pulling my leg. Yeah, same what you just said. I was in disbelief and I sort of was just in shock, didn't know how to react. And I was just like, uh, okay. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll be going to Brisbane uh, tomorrow for camp. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I was, I was, he was like, okay, you can, you can celebrate with your family and friends, but uh, make sure you're on that plane tomorrow. We'll send you details. Uh, we'll see you straight away. And I was like, okay. And then I hung up and then I walked into Sacrament down um, it was testimony Sunday. Um, I got up on the on the on the pulpit on the stand and sort of uh, had a little tear and I was like like saying how grateful I was for the gospel in my life, this and that, and sort of announced it like a few seconds after I just got the phone call. What a moment! I was saying, yeah, I was, I was like, oh, sorry for walking out because um, my phone rang and I was like in church. It was like the Nokia's back then, so it wasn't the old brick. Little, didn't have the little switch to turn it on silent. You had to obviously go through settings to put on silent. So I announced that. And obviously mum and that hearing it for the first time too because I just walked back in and went straight up. And then, yeah, and then after that, just went so fast. Pretty much from church straight home, packed the bags and got everything ready for the next morning. Essentially, in the space of 10 days, you made your first grade debut replacing Tamana Tahu. And you got dropped back to Reggie's, and then you got your international debut for the Kiwis. Yeah, and then went straight back to Reggie's. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was it was a special moment. It was something I'll never forget. Um, and it was one of those things that um, I think it was a big build up. Not only not not my story alone, but um, I just remember at the time it was um, it was Sonny's and uh, Benji's first Kiwis game together. So that was like a big build-up alone, just having them two in camp and um, having their first, like, obviously they were the talk of the town for years and obviously injury hit one or the other or someone was on, someone was off. Um, but it was the first time they, they got to play to play with each other. So it sort of clouded, pretty much took all the attention from, from me making my debut after one game. Greg Eastwood debuted, Sam Rapira. I think there was three of us that debuted, like, all same age. We're all... 2019 all debuting for the kiwi so that sort of uh but i was i was fortunate enough i i'm i was one of those kids that don't really get nervous before a game so i was pretty sweet i was probably more nervous to meet the like the the whole sunny benji nath kalis i was lucky he was my captain at the club so he was the he was the kiwis captain at the time just all those senior players that I grew up watching and idolizing and having the opportunity to play with them after obviously one game was more, I was more nerve, nerve wracking of stuffing up at training than worrying about the game because I was like in the game, no worries. I know what I have to do. Just go out, play, have fun. It's a game training. I just sort of felt like I had to earn that respect because no one knew who I was. No one seen me play. Cause obviously they're all first graders and I was like coming from Reggie's 
and I was only this young kid, so Beastwater had, had played a handful of games. Sam Rapier had played a handful of games. So they, they sort of had their their name out there and everyone knew how they played. So I was still like the new kid on the block. felt like uh, I was in there just watching the boys train. <laughs> I was the water boy at sometimes just watching, but then they were like, coach was like, nah, that's our fullback. <laughs> uh, everyone that's uh, Chris Ninunu. And yeah, it, was, it, felt, it felt like that pretty much the first two days. Granted, the game didn't go the way it was planned for the Kiwis, but during that week, what were the things that you learnt from the senior players? Yeah, I learned. Oh, I learned pretty quick to adjust to can be enemies one game and then bring it all together and be so close in such short time and see form a, a sort of a, a bond and uh, that chemistry that you need for a test match in in such a short period and in in learning people's names and. Obviously, knowing them from TV, so you know most of their names, but just knowing them as a person and, and how they play, how they train, how they prepare, all that sort of stuff. So that was a uh, very. I was fortunate enough that it was um, I was a part of that real at a real uh, young age, which now in these days, like being twenty year old debuting is nearly normal now. So it's crazy, it's really isn't a, it? Yes, yeah, it's not really a young age anymore. So. So yeah. I imagine in that game, after playing one first grade game, you would have come up against the likes of Lockyer, Slater, Smith. Just feel the speed of the game. Just go to a complete new level. Yeah, uh, I was, and playing fullback back then, it wasn't as demanding as it is now. Like I, I, I don't know how I used to play fullback back then. Like I was so skinny and fast. I think the adrenaline got me through it more than anything, and being so excited that. Anything that anything that came my way, I was on it straight away. I jumped on it, dove on it, jumping for it. Anything, I just uh, the adrenaline took over my body, and pretty much, I felt like I wasn't breathing. But like you said, it was just that quick. It was a big, big, uh, big eye opener. And then, obviously, like I said, going back to Reggie's, I went to Reggie's, and I was like, "It is so slow." <laughs> I was like, "It was such a big difference in speed," and I didn't think there was anything different like to me watching rugby league it's rugby league like it's the game it's the same speed blah 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 yeah I, I learned after that one game and then going to Reggie's that there is a big difference and same as preparation and obviously playing you more expected from you Let's fast forward two years later. The year's 2009, and the Eels are making an unbelievable run through the back end of the Premiership, led by one of your childhood mates, Jared Hayne. Tell me about playing with Hainsey that year. I was fortunate enough to be part of that team and, and the run that, that uh, Hainsey had in that uh, 2009 season. Well, I played with him all my life, like growing juniors, school. I lived like not even 100 metres from my house, so I've seen him every day. No, it was something that we were... We that was sort of installed in us from a young age and having the senior players around us and, and giving us an earful because we were always the cheeky ones at training. So Hindy, Kalis, all the senior players, Mick Vella, all those boys would be spraying me and Hainsey because we'd muck around, but we'd be doing all the hard stuff and then come game time, we'd still, we'd still bring it. So that year, I think Hainsey enjoyed his football. He had that much fun that 
what I seen every day at, at home or around Minto, around the train station, at the netball course, at basketball course, like running around the streets. Uh, that's what I seen every day. So when I seen him, it was no surprise to me to see what he was doing on the field. Pretty much, he was, was pretty much like, just let me play footy and on board and we'll, we'll rock this together and sort of, we had that run like I think we had a sort of like a a deep talk and it was sort of like a, our season's all but over. We got to win ten of our last eleven season games to make the top eight, which was obviously not off. Um, and we just we just went for it. We played for each other. We we did stuff we weren't doing at the start of the year. And the coach gave us the thumbs up to play footy and throw it around and obviously. Enjoy it. Pretty much enjoy playing footy again. So that was the main one. It seemed to me that you, for the as you said, for the last fifteen weeks of that season, like you were just allowed to go out and play footy. When you look back on the grand final and the week of the grand final, did you know if it was nerves or whatever? But you guys seemed a little bit locked up for the first, you know, sixty odd minutes of that game. Do you do you look back and have any thoughts about that grand final? For myself, uh, I was still young, so I didn't appreciate it as much as I do now as I got older and I realized like we were on such a high no one expected us to be there playing a hot red um storm side who was just killing it that whole year and we just I think preparation changed that week for us um which a, a few of us were a bit shocked the whole advantage of playing in Sydney and having a grand final in Sydney is we could sleep in our own beds we had the advantage of sleeping in our own beds. Melbourne obviously are used to sleeping in hotels and travelling, but for some reason we changed our routine that we that we had leading into grand final and winning all those games and and uh, for some reason we we got a hotel. We stayed there like a day or two out into grand, leading into grand final because they thought we'll get you all together, we'll, we'll keep you all in one place so you're all focusing and preparing for the grand final together and all that. So it was. For us, I thought the preparation changed and it sort of, not threw us off, but obviously you've got to adjust to what's put in front of you. And I, th- I thought that's something we could have done different. But come game time, like like you said, the first 60 minutes, I think we we had a young team too. Average age for us at that time, I think it was like 26. Like there was heaps of us that weren't even 24, 5 at the time. Um, and then you had the senior players, like I said, you got Heindy, Kalis, Ed Robinson, or like Ben Smith, all those all those boys that were a bit older. We were that have been around for so long and sort of knew what they needed to do. But those first sixty minutes, like I said, I think we we it was more nerves than anything. I think we threw ourselves off by crowd, the atmosphere and uh, things weren't going our way, like the bounce of the ball, the, the offloads that we were used to leading into the finals and all that sort of stuff. And then we sort of kicked into gear, like you said, last 20 minutes and tried to make that late comeback. And it was against Melbourne. It's it's hard to find any sort of comeback. And they, they just played too well for us. Thinking of things going against you, um, tell me about Jared Hayne leaving his boots at home. <laughs> oh, that was... Um, that was a good memory. So we got to the grand final. We got into the sheds. Um, and Haynes is not stressing, like, not bad. But we just heard a bit of a ruckus down in the hallway while everyone's stretching. Everyone's doing their own things, got their headphones on and whatnot. 
And then Hainsey like screamed, like had a little shout, and like we all looked like, oh, shut up, Jared. Like he does something every game day. And then he goes, he just had a, had his moment, and we're all like, what's up? And he goes, I got to ring someone to go go to my house pick up my boots. And I go, what happened? And he goes, because he had that many boots given to him that year, brought two right foot boots, exact same pair of boots, but he brought the two right foots, so he had two lefties at home. So the Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Police were called to go to his house, break into his house, grab the boots and... We see like the highway patrol cars, those real flash Holdens with the big lights, bright lights. They sped to ANZ and brought his boots and they were there for come kick off and warm up. Geez, when you've got the best footballer in the world in your footy side on grand final day, you'd want to hope he brings a left and a right boot, wouldn't you? Yeah, that sort of uh, sort of rattled him at the start and that didn't help anyone else because I sort of like, if he's feeling rattled, then sort of everyone else is worrying about him when everyone should just be worrying about their own game, but... I don't. Oh, I don't think it phased him in any way. Like maybe, maybe for five minutes it did. But when he knew that the police were on their way, there was like he he was sweet after that. Let's um let's fast forward two years. You moved to the Warriors in 2011. What was it like moving to the Warriors? Was it a big change from Parramatta as a club? Yeah, because I didn't expect to ever leave Parramatta. Myself and Folletti were left in real bad awkward circumstances at Parramatta and but we were announcing said oh we're going to announce that we're leaving the club we both looked at each other and go oh yeah I'm leaving too where are you going and he goes oh where are you going so we just said we looked at each other we go one two three we'll, we'll say the club okay one two three we both said warriors and we were both cheering because we both didn't know and we were like giving each other high fives and whatnot then we had the serious talk, like telling the boys, sorry, this is going to be our last game, blah, 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 we're leaving. Uh, from the outside in, people just think Warriors, like back then, was like, oh, they're lazy. Down to the 10th, like 70th minute, and then you'll, you'll catch them in the last 10 minutes. But So we, when we got there, we didn't expect too much. But when we got there, we it's probably the most running I've ever done to this day um, for a preseason the hills we did, the running we did every day was probably the most I've ever done. You see, um, You see that? That footage of them running up those sand hills looks like absolute torture. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So, looking back now, what what I put my body through and all the players that probably even before my time, the pain that you go through in preseason is another level of like mental strength on top of uh, your physical strength. So that it trains you to change your body for life on and off the field and and your mind as well so but yeah it's it's another level over there and I don't think it's ever changed having Ruben Wiki there at the time he was sort of like starting his training uh regimes back then and his his little he would have he would have the extras group back then but now he's a full-time trainer and the boys just said and from like 100 to 5000 like in a matter of the space of time that I left I can only imagine how hard the boys are training now. 
Johnson gets Dancing. John no way. No way. Johnson has run over to score. This is incredible. In 2011, the Warriors were lucky enough to unearth one of the most freakish talents we've ever seen. Tell me about the young ball player you played with that year, Sean Johnson. Yeah, he was he was always going to be a superstar. Watching him uh, play 20s when I was there and then always going to eventually have his shot. It's just, just a matter of time and I was fortunate enough. It was that year that I, I was there and got to see him play and play alongside him and help part of that journey of making, obviously, the the grand final and whatnot, but he he grew pretty fast. He was he was he had a very mature head for such a young halfback, and um, obviously he his skills were second to none. But um, to us boys, he was still princess. On Inu, Medai takes a similar hit from Inu. So that's square. It's fifteen all. Extended. Well, there's Inu getting one on Medai. That 2011 season, of course, finishes with uh, the Warriors playing in the grand final for the first time since 2002, when, funnily enough, Ivan Cleary played in that game. Now he was coaching you guys. I guess that grand final, you know, it's not like the 2015 grand final where it's or, or the 2019 grand final where you remember it for a single moment. But in my eyes, I will always remember your clash with Steve Maddai that day. Tell me about that big clash. Yeah, it wasn't even like anything that... Um... Like, everyone talks to it, like, everyone that I know and talks about Warriors, like, diehard Warriors fans, like you said, not too much to brag about or, like, big highlights, but I would always be reminded about, oh, what about that day you had a battle with Matt? And I go, it wasn't, like, I see it now, like, from the outside in, watching it, like, the highlights and uh, video footages of it, like, it did look like it was a big battle, but at, at the time, like, I was just trying to run as hard as I could give my opponent and do my best and he was trying to do the same which he, he does week in week out and like everyone knows him as obviously the biggest hitter in the game he's up there with Sonny and all that so I was fortunate enough I was um I still had my head on my shoulders after the game no doubt you danced with one of the absolute best in the game that day tell me <laughs> the year after um 2012 you make your move to Canterbury. And I remember being at the SFS that night that you wore the number 21. You played your first game. And I, I'm sure it would go down as one of the best games of your career. Tell me about that night. I wasn't even thinking about leaving or doing anything. I was just wanted to play. So I was given the opportunity to head over there. And the phone call on a Tuesday saying, you're going to go to Bulldogs. Wednesday, I left. Thursday, I had captains run. Friday, I played. I'm pretty sure it was a Friday. And then, um, yeah, so everything happened that fast. So I, I knew most of, I knew heaps of the boys before beforehand because the Kiwis. I uh, grew up with Frank Pritchard and his family, so I was close with Frank, Chris Keating, John Hodkinson, all those boys that were there. John, John Wright. I knew heaps of those boys growing up. So for me, getting there, the main thing was obviously building some sort of. Uh, like a friendship with some of the boys, but I was lucky enough I knew most of them beforehand. So in my head, I was just, I was just told from Des pretty much, um, catch the ball, run, we'll sort out the rest later. If you need to know any of the moves, obviously captains run. I tried to learn as much as I could, um, but because I I got chucked on the wing, pretty much the most easiest position to fill in for someone who just came to the club like a day before, 
Um, he just said, if you need to know anything or need to know the move, just listen to Benny Barber. He'll tell you what to do. And I was like, yeah, sweet. So during the game, I would look at Benny. He'll be like, just hang back, wait off me. Um, there's going to be a lead runner. I'm at the back. You're whatever. You you'll hang off me. I'm like, sweet. Then there'll be another one. Like he'll go, no, you push with the center. I'll be at the back. You're a lead for me. And I'll like, yeah, sweet. And then if I hear a he goes, the only two calls you need to know is like a, a kick call. These, he goes, these these are the two kick calls. If you hear one of them, that's for you. If you hear another one, just do your best chase and like just your standards. Like I had played the game long enough, so just pretty much have fun, do, do your job and catch the ball. Now, mate, we spoke about earlier about you being there for the 2009 roller coaster with Jared Hayne. Of course, you were there for the 2012 roller coaster with Ben Barber. You know, what was the difference between the two? Because they're two of the most unbelievable purple patches of football by individuals we've ever seen. Yeah, they're both freakish talents, pretty much. Benny, he was the he was a short version of Jared, but he was like we called it like he was Mongo strong, like someone so small you he was deceivingly strong like you couldn't you couldn't have a good one-on-one tackle with him without either getting fended off or if you did get a hold of him he would drag you a good five meters with him like he was that strong and obviously his his height and his speed it just he just had it all in this little package he was a little pocket rocket and he was on fire obviously he was scoring tries left, right and centre um, at a young age and he brought it straight into first grade and ne- never looked out of place from the moment he, he joined first grade and he just had that confidence about him and he was riding the roller coaster like anyone else. He was riding the wave, he was going with it and playing off the back of obviously the big forward pack that we had made, made his job a lot easier. So speaking of uh, riding the wave in 2012, you know, you guys rode it all the way to the grand final and it must have been a strange feeling coming up against the Melbourne Storm in the grand final again. It was almost it was almost like the same season over again for you. Yeah, pretty much exact same. Like had that roller coaster run. Um and then final stage, final game, the storm again. Passes that um that we did a hundred times during the season that were coming off real easy, sort of being knocked down or bounce of the ball that would have bounced our way, didn't bounce our way. Like it just felt like it wasn't like I felt more prepared, obviously being my third grand final at the time. I felt more prepared. I felt more into the game real early rather than waiting 60 minutes. Um, everyone else around me was in. It was, it was pretty much just the bounce of the ball, really. It was just sort of like a week before, everything goes our way. week after, just ones that mattered didn't, didn't come our way and it changes the game or... There was Changes a moment in that game where um, where Slater made a try-saving play where he hit the ball over the dead ball line off a kick. Yeah, and that was like a chip. chip, And like the whole year we did about 10 of them. They all bounced straight in our hands. They all just that sat up, didn't they? Yeah, the, and then that one bounces up and Slater comes and cleans it up. Like It was like he was meant to get that ball. So you couldn't take anything from both teams on that one. It was just pretty much the bounce of the balls. It could have went either way. Soon after. You jumped the fence to Rugby Union. Yeah, I went to Paris and played um, French rugby over there in the top 14. How was that experience? Yeah, it was a very different lifestyle change, uh, change of culture, 
um, living in 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 a foreign country and not knowing anybody. I I had known Digby Yuane for like I'd seen him in and out of footy throughout my years of NRL and then having the chance to sit next to him every day in the lockers. He was pretty much my only mate at the time. And then starting to make friends in a foreign country, not speaking the language. It was a lot different. Obviously changing sports, so I had to um, get my feel for it and as fast as I could because it was like um, sort of sort of at the start of the season, so like a third of it had had gone had already been through. So I was there due to injuries again. But, um, yeah, it was an experience I'll I'll never forget. And I was zero from three in in the NRL, and I was one from one in rugby. So I'll, I'll take that. I with was me. just about to ask that. You did get a premiership win there, did you? <laughs> yeah, we won that one. So it was, that's one I'll I'll take with me. We'll take that one. Beautiful. Yeah. Let me ask you. After that, you moved to the English Super League. I believe you signed with the Catalan Dragons. The main difference you found between the English Super League and the NRL. Speed of the game, I think, was was a big was obvious for me. Having two refs back home, never thought why, why, like why this, why that. What's the purpose of it? Being played Super League with the one referee again, not so many. Like it's not really televised here as much as the as it is in Australia. Having the cameras in every game over there, it's pretty much one ref. He makes the decisions on every part of the game. And you games in the whole year, so that was a big difference. And I felt because in the NRL you get you get all these talks at the start of every year, like um, how to manage off-field stuff, uh, the referees, uh, alcohol, drug talks. Like you get all the talks to prepare you for that season, and then the referees come in and sort of to lay down the rules straight away. If you get done for this, that's why. Uh, if we call this, that's why. Like they explain all the rules and explain why they'll penalise you. So. Come game time, when it happens, you're not arguing with him. You're just like, oh, he told us that at the start of the year, how the rules are going to be laid out. And then coming out in Super League, it was sort of a, a backward step for myself because I felt like I knew the rules a bit more than the Rees. So I was blown up at some things and I was like, did you not see that? Did you not do that? But like having one referee is hard to manage like a full 26 players on the field of teams and decisions that could obviously change the game. In that in that moment, because you got no video ref, it was like it was a bit backwards at the time, and that was my big difference. So after your time at the Catalan Dragons, I believe you moved to Witness, and now you're currently playing at Salford. How have the experiences of both of these clubs been? So I went to Witness for a year, and then they got relegated. Um, so I got the opportunity to sign here for Salford, and yeah, and that's where I'm sitting right now. Can I ask you, when you're playing for a team that gets relegated, do a lot of players leave once that has happened? So your contract gets terminated and then they offer you whatever they can, pretty much, depending on the club and the money they have. But everyone's contracts are terminated, so you, you're you're free to do whatever you want. You can leave. You can sign for someone else. So it's Anything goes again. Tell me about your experiences so far in Salford. Everything's... Oh, it's, it's. I was lucky enough. I moved down the road when I first got here when I signed a witness. So, um, lucky for me, moving wise, I have to go anywhere. So, playing local for me now, it's local. I'm playing for my local team, which which helps. And everything here, Ian Watson, the coach, he's probably the closest thing to an NRL coach I've had since being in uh, the league. He's um, real professional in what he does, and he 
he um, obviously he's the assistant to the the DBs this year. He's he's real th- um, thorough on his uh, the way he does things, the way he trains, the way he wants players to be, how like their weight, how fast they wants them to be. He's real like pretty much any standard that NRL coach would want. It would be Ian Watson. So it sort of felt like I was a bit more back home than anything. The last thing I'm going to ask you, mate, um, I've been waiting for this one. You earned the nickname of the Smiling Assassin for your uh, <laughs> your goal-kicking technique. Tell me about how that came about. Uh, I was just mucking around at training, really. I was, me and Hainsey, like I said, me and Hainsey are always mucking around. We're always the clowns and doing stuff at training, always kicking, like, never stretch, never warm up. We'll just walk out and start kicking balls from the 50, 60. Um, and at the end of training one day, like, everyone's kicking from the sideline trying to convert for lunch and whatnot so i've come up i've just got there and i've arrived and i go i go i'll get this easy but i like i'll walk straight into it and the boys go if you get it we'll show you lunch this and that so just as i was about to kick all the boys are booing screaming throwing like water bottles at me and i started smiling and i was like all right here we go i'll get this now you guys you guys have made me like force my hand sort of thing so i've I've kicked it slotted it and just walked straight back in the sheds i started laughing and then a sort of um, one game, when I was playing NRL, one game sort of that memory came back to me when I was kicking and I just heard someone in the crowd give, like spraying me, giving me a handful and just like right next to my ear too, like on the sideline, spraying me, lolly legs, you're going to miss it. Just all the abuse you could find under the sun. And it's the first thing that came to my head, I just smiled and sort of laughed it off. I said like, if I get it, I get it. Like it's a... Pretty much a nice way of saying shut up <laughs> to to someone booing me. If I miss, well, I'm laughing anyway, so I'll just keep laughing and keep smiling and just continue. It's not the end of the world. It's a goal kick. Tell me before you go, what's your number one career highlight? Oh, making friends with all the all the teams that I've played with. Um, just the the mates that I've I've uh, I've gained along the way, the friendships and and. Everything in life, everything that rugby league's brought me, like I wouldn't be on this side of the world, I wouldn't have met my fiance. Obviously, everything everything happens for a reason, and all these things I, I see is obviously there's more to more to life than than rugby league. So for my highlights is everything that it's brought me off field. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. It's been a fantastic career to watch over the last ten or twelve years, and uh, we wish you all the best in the future. Mate, nice speaking to you. Thank you for tuning in to the Rugby League Guru podcast once again. We've got a pretty big week lined up. We've got on Thursday night, we're planning on dropping our Q&A podcast, which is where we put up a question on our Instagram page for you guys to leave any questions for us, for us to go through and answer. So I'm going to go through the top three questions that I had. That'll be dropping on Thursday night. Then on Monday or Tuesday, stay tuned for that release date, we'll have our next Supercoach Analysis podcast, which will be on the second row forward. So a real plethora of talent there, a lot to go through. Coming up on Wednesday night, we've got our interview with Newcastle flyer Bradman Best. He's pretty, he's a pretty young fellow, and I, I think there's a huge future in the NRL for Bradman Best. So a good one to listen to, one of the 
all-time great names we've had in the NRL. Bradman Best, sensational. The response to our first few podcasts have just been unbelievable. I can't believe how much positive feedback we're getting. Uh, We've still got plenty to improve on, and we're taking all of your suggestions on board. But considering we've just kicked off, we've been so happy with um, the response from all of you guys. It's been fantastic. If you are enjoying our gear, make sure you subscribe, like, share to all your buddies. And remember... Keep kicking to corners and always play smart footy. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Acast and Befeller. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider træt af alle de der podcasts og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.